it just, hey, it was really funny. So let's just, like, let's just laugh as a congregation. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then, my, and then I'm supposed to stay. Are you done? Then I'm supposed to say, hey, that's funny, but in reality, we live our lives that way. Then you're supposed to say, mm, amen, pastor. Yeah. Okay, see, that's how I envisioned it all going, but uh, none of it went that way. Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, open it up. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 2. Now, I put it on the screen, but I know for some of you, you're just like, you know, you're, you're thick on this. You're like, it's on the screen. I don't need to bring my Bible. Um, would you just trust me? There is something different about engaging with God's Word on your own. So I invite you, bring your Bible, uh, and we'll be tracking through this stuff. But I want to walk through this passage uh, and I want to talk a little bit about this. I think it's familiar to you, this passage. I think you've heard it. You probably heard a sermon on it. I know I've preached from it before. But I want to make sure you understand the concept as it relates to what we're talking about. This we and this kind of anti-consumerism in the church world. And so uh, make sure you put aside what you may think, I already know that, and really engage. Here's what it says, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to go through verse 11. I want to go ahead and read the whole passage, and then we'll kind of break it down in steps. Here's what it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor, gave him the name above all other names, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's how this passage starts here. And I want to make sure you read this and get this, because if you're like me, sometimes I crank into a passage of Scripture, and I'll read right through the introduction or the first part as if that's not a big deal. Do you ever do that with a book? If it says introduction, that's not chapter 1. Flip through that. I don't want any part of that. Just go to chapter 1. I want to make sure you get the beginning of this. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Uh, Do you understand what the the passage is saying? You must have, I must have, we must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Uh, Sometimes when we're thinking in life, you might ask the phrase, uh, is this the will of God? Is God speaking to me? What does God want me to do? Can I declare for you this morning, as it relates to this passage and the start of this passage, yes, this is the will of God. When it says, you must have the same attitude of that of Jesus Christ, everything we read after this is the will of God in your life. There's no question about this. It's not, yeah, it's good for you over here, but not so much for you over here. And uh, it is the will of God for us. So, as we talk about the rest of this, make sure you keep this phrase in your head that God's word is telling us, and the writer is Paul, and he's telling us, you should have this attitude as well, because Jesus Christ had this attitude. 
So let, let's look on uh, Philippians chapter, uh, or same verse, but in the New American Standard Version, says it this way, I kind of like it, and think the same way that Christ Jesus thought. Think the same way as Jesus thought. I want to give you a phrase this morning, and I want you to kind of lock it in, this phrase. Hopefully you'll even go home memorizing it, and you'll have it associated with Philippians chapter 2 in your life. Uh, But I want you to hear this phrase. It's this. A journey which begins in surrender always ends in exaltation. A journey that begins in surrender always ends in exaltation. Now, I'm not sure this so much plays out like if you're a criminal on the run, you know, and you get tracked down the, po- the policeman, you know, and eventually you surrender and you put your hands up. I'm not sure you're getting exalted. But in God's word, in the way God designed for us to follow him and live our life out in him, this phrase is completely accurate. A journey which begins in surrender always ends in exaltation. Do you mind just reciting it out with me? You did so good in the responsive reading. Say it out with me. A journey which begins with surrender always ends in exaltation. Now, that's, that's nice. You did, you did really good, prim and proper on that. There was a nice enunciation of exaltation on there. I wonder if you could boldly proclaim it. Boldly proclaim it so you can stick it in. So, less proper, more loud. How about that? So, would you say it again with me? Bolt it out. A journey which begins with surrender always ends in exaltation. Yeah. We're going to find that in this passage, and as we walk through in the next few minutes, we're going to talk about the surrender side and the exaltation side. Ever been humbled? You want to share? All right, I'll share. Um, there was, uh, when I first became a youth pastor, I was 18 years old in Los Angeles, and they stuck me with a group of middle schoolers. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. We just played ball and basketball and silly little games. We tore up the carpet in the fellowship hall one time, and we painted the air duct system on top of a roof. Uh, That didn't go over well with the senior pastor. We just did things like that, so we really didn't know what we were doing. But what we found was from a group of about eight, by, from the beginning of the semester till Christmas, we grew to about 50 kids just kind of playing basketball and doing these kind of things. And so uh, we had this group that was pretty crazy, and we didn't have much control of the situation, not even the controlled chaos. It was just crazy. By the time the end of the school year rolled around, it was camp time, right? And you want to take uh, kids to camp. Well, usually this church had taken about three or four kids to camp. We took 47 kids, middle schoolers, to camp, right? And so uh, we got there, and they had this kind of hall you go through to register. And you kind of walk through. It's the leaders. The kids don't walk through it. And the leaders walk through it. And I remember walking in there. This group had always brought three or four kids. I remember walking in, and we had 47. And you know what I learned when I walked in? Like, you know, we were the biggest youth group, biggest junior high group there, mainly because the large church in San Diego did not attend that camp. They did their own camp. So, but I didn't care about that technicality. Uh, I walked in and I'm like, literally, I'm 18 years old. I'm like, hey, where's the big churches? Like, where do the big groups check in? Like, is there a bigger table to handle us? Or, I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And so we got registered and that kind of stuff, and we went into the, the, uh, the cabins, got all set up. I mean, it's a crazy week if you want to spend a week with middle school guys, period. Um, and that's kind of what it was. Um, but I remember just going in there thinking, man, I am, I am really making this incredible impact. I'm 18 years old. Like, what could possibly be in store for me in the future? 
uh, if I'm starting and having this type of success so quickly and so early? I mean, those were like conscious thoughts that I never actually let get to my mouth because I knew that was wrong. All right. I remember being in the, in the cabin one day. All the junior hires was out. It's free time. They're doing their thing. And um, I had to go uh, into the restroom area and do, you know, business. Um, in our house, growing up with the kids, we used to, this was our symbol. You had to go to the bathroom. So if we were in public and the kid didn't want to say to go to the bathroom, they just, yeah. you know, and we knew, okay, that kid has to go to the bathroom. So, I mean, it was, you know, that kind of thing. I was, uh, you know, um, so I was... They're doing that, and, um, and so I, I heard some junior hires come into the front of the cabin, and I thought, oh, they're, they're, you know, they're coming in. Um, but then I heard something that petrified me. One of the students, they just had to say one word. It was the word snake. Um, now, uh, I know right away some of you think, well, you know, not all snakes are bad. You're wrong. Um, they're all bad, every single one of them. Um, the book of Genesis does not discern. It just says the serpent, and the serpent is evil, all right? So they're all bad, and that's my understanding. So as I'm sitting there uh, uh, in a very vulnerable position, um, and I'm now hearing the kids talk about this snake that's in the room, and I'm thinking, they have no idea I'm in here. And so I thought, I better holler out. I better just let them know. So, hey, guys, hey, I'm in here. <laughs> Um, restroom, just letting these junior hires know, right? Well, I started to get a play-by-play of what was going on with this snake. You know, in the cabin, under the bed. No, 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 back out of the bed. I'm starting to think, when it goes under the bed, I'll I'll do a a quick run to the door. You know, what? Then, of course, I start to hear one of the students talk about this snake coming to the bathroom area, which was in the back of the cabin, which was a full run across the cabin to be able to get out of the cabin. By now, um, I'm back fully clothed, um, and I'm standing on top of the toilet. Um, and now, I, I remember, I used to always think, well, snakes can't climb, so as long as they get high, I'm okay. Oh, but wait, there was a Bill Cosby episode, if you remember from the Cosby show, where the snake climbed out of the basement, up the stairs, into their house, and was loose in the house. I remember that episode at that moment. So I'm now on top of, you know, the special needs bars. I'm now here and here, up as high as I possibly can, thinking the snake is coming my way. I'm looking at the ventilation window, trying to kind of mathematically think about how I might get myself through uh, that, that ventilation. And so eventually I just decided I'm just going to make a clean break for it. Uh, I was a runner, a, a sprinter a bit, a base stealer in college, so I thought surely I could outrun for a split second a snake. Um, and I did. Big breath in, and boom, I'm gone, out the door, right? I should have thought for a moment, as I was sprinting as fast as I can through the cabin, that there was middle school boys in the cabin. Um, that did not compute to me at the time. Um, all I was thinking was, there's a snake, what are you doing? Um, and I was outside. Well, when I got outside, well, guess what I found? Most of those 47 junior hires were outside of that door laughing hysterically at the butt of their joke um, as they had just made up the whole scenario of a snake being in the cabin, period. Um, and I felt like uh, an idiot. Um, but God just used a simple thing like that to say, look, Tom, they like you. They enjoy you. They have a good time with you. They're in church. Now they're at camp. 
you are, they're not worshiping any ground you're walking on. And if you would like, Tom, when you get back home to the church in, in LA, it, just walk two blocks down the street and you'll see the bigger youth group. And then walk two blocks down the other street and you'll see a bigger youth group than that youth group. So why don't you just get off that now and just be another guy that I've called to witness, I've called to build into these people, and, and called to, to share about Jesus Christ. And that really, God is saying, that really will be enough for me. Because that's really where you're at. You're not the second savior of the world. Come down. God uses those moments like that. Um, and we find in this passage that Jesus Christ himself humbled. He was humbled. We find that he humbled himself. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Take a look at what it says. Verse 6, though he was God, that means when he was God, he was equal with God. Jesus Christ wasn't just like God. He didn't carry the attributes of God. He didn't carry the characteristics of God. This is not like, you know, when I look at Zeb and Liz and then I see Clara Ruth and I go like, man, I can see already some of the mannerisms in Clara Ruth. I can see some of the facial. This is not like that. Jesus says he is God. God incarnate, human form. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born of a human being. When he appeared in human form, he was humbled himself in obedience to God. I'm going to just hit three quick phrases there that you just read as we looked at that. One, he made himself nothing. That's a very interesting passage. When Jesus says here, he made himself nothing in chapter 6, or he, he didn't cling to God, equality with God, so as something, uh, excuse me, equality with God is something to cling to. He made himself nothing in the NIV version. He emptied himself, made himself nothing. That's an interesting phrase. As if God is saying, look, I came to earth, and when I came in human form, I never stopped being God. Jesus Christ was God all the time. God incarnate is the word we use. But that Jesus actually said, though I have the capability of this power, this divinity, I'm going to choose to set that aside. I'm going to choose to live by human rules. And we find, if you read through the Gospels, we find he does just that. You would say, well, Tom, I mean, he, he did miracles. He healed people. You know, that shows his divinity. Well, certainly it shows divinity. But guess what? He also imparted that power on his disciples to go out and to heal, to cast out demons. So Jesus, though, said, I'm going to empty, and I'm going to live by human rules even on this earth. Now, honestly, how many times when you walk in, do you have a certain, like, leadership title or um, a certain role or you're the boss? How often do you walk in and you strip yourself away of that title or that role? How often do you say, hey, I know I'm the boss. I know I'm the leader, but, you know, I'm going to kind of put that aside. I'm going to play by employee rules today. And Jesus is actually doing it. I mean, this is God himself doing this. And it says he took up a, a humble position. A humble position. Do you know what he's saying? You and me, we're humans. Guess what that means? We're in a humble position too. It's a humble position. That, that he said, I, I am this. I, I could have this place. I'm God. 
I could, I could own this place and this title everywhere I go. I'm going to claim this humble position of a human being. And I know for us, I mean, we, we, we live our lives, it's what we know, but human beings' lives are, are, are incredibly fragile compared to the being of God. And that's what he put himself in. Finally, this, this phrase, he humbled himself into obedience. I want to tell you what I've learned more and more. Humbling myself, surrendering myself to God, never works without the word obedience being attached to it. It just, it just doesn't work. I mean, think about it, your relationship with your mom and dad growing up when they wanted you to do certain things, chores, or, or however simple it is, you know, I've used taking out the trash the last six years as examples of obedience. Um, I can never really surrender to my dad in that area without obedience being involved as well. I think sometimes if we're not careful, we really like to surrender in word. Like when we're singing up here and the praise team is leading us and we're bolting out songs about surrender. I mean, it's really good. Like I get, I get a little moved as well. I'm not a deeply emotional guy, but I get, I get a little moved as well, you know, uh, to that. We like to declare verbally, but you know what? They don't work without the word obedience. It just doesn't really work. Here's a phrase I'd like you to remember. You can't exercise your own will all the time and use the word obedience as well. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't really work. My way, my way, my way, my way, I'm obedient to God. It just, it just doesn't really make sense. Now, you might say in this passage, you might already put it together. Uh, you might say, hey, Tom, um, G- but Jesus was God, right? I mean, he, w- he was God, so what's the big deal? I mean, he, he's not tempted the same way we are. He, he doesn't deal with the same things we do. Um, he was God incarnate. So he was immune to a lot of the things I deal with. Here's the problem with that. Um, You can believe that theologically, but you need to take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you need to chuck them out the window because they just don't make sense. When Jesus was led into the wilderness where where he fasted 40 days, 40 nights, and he was there for the purpose of being tempted. Seemingly in that passage, it was awfully tough. But Jesus resisted there. I mean, if there was no cause for temptation, if there's no way he could be tempted, I mean, why even have it there? Why even have it in the Bible? Why would the gospel writers even make mention and even care about the story? Certainly, Jesus, we read, he went to the garden to say, God, if there's any way, if there's any way you can make this crucifixion thing pass, I'd be up for that plan. It's right there in the Bible. It's there. It's written. You can read it as I just said, but then he's followed it and say, but not your will, but my will be done. Even though that's what I would like, that would be my choice, that's how I would go, God, I'll go ahead and surrender, and in surrendering, I'll walk forward in obedience. And we don't read in that passage where God said, you know, I've thought about it, Jesus, I've reconsidered, and I'm going to change up the whole plan. He walks forward with the plan of God. But we find he was, he he very much didn't want to walk through that. He dealt with the same things you and I do. Let me ask you just the question. What what is it you need to surrender to the Lord? What is it God has been tracking with you on? He's been talking to you about. He's been calling you to. And you just have not been willing to kind of surrender that. You've not been willing to say, 
All right, God, I mean, it is a better plan your way. It, is just, it just is better what you're asking me to do. I'll go ahead and, and surrender and go that way. What is it? I bet it's different for, for most of us. Um, but I think the issue of surrender is probably, probably still the same. Take a look at this passage from another story in Matthew chapter 19. It's about this uh, rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he wanted to know about salvation. And Jesus said, well, hey, it's quite simple. You just, you need to obey all the commandments that I've talked about. And the guy was so ecstatic. He's like, yeah, oh, wonderful. I've done all of those since I was a kid. All of those. I'm in good shape. And then Jesus said this to him. Well, if you want to be perfect, um, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had many possessions. He went away sad. Now, this isn't an argument or biblical discussion on whether a Christian can be rich or not. It has nothing to do with that. Whatever is in the way, whatever might be your stumbling block to surrendering before the Lord, God says to this guy, I think, I think your possessions are a stumbling block. If you'll get rid of those, you, you'll be able to follow me. Now, I don't think he's saying, hey, if you'll get rid of those, then come and I'll allow you in. He's saying to him, if you'll, if you'll get rid of the obstacle, your heart will be wide open to want to follow. You'll have removed the obstacle. Can I tell you this morning the struggle for your, your surrender? If you're trying to answer the question that I just say, asked, might very well be not that Jesus is saying, hey, deal with this, then come on over. The Bible actually says you can come as you are, and he'll receive you right as you are right here, right now, and then he wants to work and transform us. But it might be you not making the decision to follow because there's something you haven't been willing to surrender. You just haven't been willing to let that up and let that go. And so, and so you struggle. You say, well, my, my schedule is just so busy, Jesus. I've got so many things going on in my schedule now. It's just, it's just hard. It's hard to get to church. It's hard to serve in your kingdom. I mean, devotion, it's just hard to read your word. I'm just so busy, Lord. Can I, can I make an honest statement that you all believe, but none of you are rude enough to say it? Um, so can I say it for you? Um, because it's true. We're all busy. Nobody really wants to hear it. We make priority for what we want to make priority for. And Jesus might very well be saying, look, the problem is not that I'm not letting you in for the full journey. It's that you're not, you're not clearing up your schedule so that your heart is allowed to experience what the journey has to offer. You're smart enough to figure out where God is calling you to and what's on your list of surrender. I remember the metaphor. I heard it when I was in high school um, about inviting Jesus into the foyer of your house. Where I grew up in Moreno Valley, California, we had a foyer. It was kind of a raised area, and it was tiled. Everything else was carpet. Inviting Jesus into the foyer, um, you might every once in a while, like, let a salesman into your foyer, right? But you're probably never letting a solicitor down into the living room and into the kitchen and, and the bedrooms and all that kind of stuff. Inviting Jesus into a foyer, that's just a starting place. 
where God wants to take us on the journey is say, come on in, God, let's grab a seat in kind of the formal sitting area. You know, the formal sitting area, it always looks nice all the time. The cushions always look good because you never really use it. It's just there kind of as a showpiece for people that come over that you would like to invite in, but you really don't want to invite in in. You'll let them sit there, right? So formal. And then he says, hey, come on back. Why don't you come on into the family room? We're a little more casual here. Come on into the kitchen. The kitchen's where we kind of plop up on the counter and chit-chat and talk while dinner's being prepared and made. Let me step back. My mom would never let me up on the counter. Um, but uh, I, come on into the bedroom and where we can kind of uh, uh, hang out. I, I mean, this is, this is like my vulnerable space here, Lord. Um, and I'm even willing to open up that closet that you see like in the sitcoms that the moment you open it up, everything falls everywhere. You know what Jesus says? Hey, there's your junk, right? Fine, I'll take it. I'll take it. Just open it as it is. Just give me access to wherever you're at this morning. The, the disciples were astounded in this story, Matthew 19. They said this, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, look, look, Jesus looked at them and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but with God, everything is possible. It's all possible. Your busy schedule, humanly speaking, it's impossible. You can't add more than 24 hours, right? You've got to sleep for some of it. God says, look, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with me, all things are possible. It's possible for you to surrender that, whatever needs to be surrendered, to open up the door, to follow more fully with your heart. It is possible with God. That's where we need to start. A journey which begins with surrender always ends in exaltation. Surrender always ends in exaltation. We talked about the surrender. Let's talk about exaltation. Uh, you ever won any awards? Any awards? A few of you? Grace, I've seen your awards for dancing. It's pretty impressive. So it's a lot more than I've won, that's for sure. So um, I played baseball from five years old. Um, I finished college baseball at 22. I played one year of semi-pro baseball, which is basically them saying, you can keep playing and we'll give you meal money. Um, so I played one year of that. I have no accomplishment trophy in that time. Oh, I got some participation trophies. Um, I don't know what you think about them. I huck those things right in the corner of the room. I, um, I, I, wanted, I wanted championship trophies. I wanted MVP trophies. You know, I wanted things like that. I did win a couple coaches award trophies, which are good. They're good. They're good. You know, effort kind of thing. You know, you're a good citizen on the team. Um, those were good too. But I wanted to win like you were the best on the field, Tom Raven. Nobody said I was the best on the field. I thought when I joined some of these men's softball leagues, you know, finally I would get to that point. And uh, <laughs> that didn't even happen there. So, um, yeah. Um, no trophies, right? I do, I, do have, I do have a trophy, though. Um, I'm going to tell you about it. And uh, a few of you know the story, but um, uh, one year I was at the Diamondbacks baseball game um, there's about 30,000 people there. Our church was in attendance, and uh, not all 30,000 were from our church. Uh, only about 50 of the people were from our church. Um, but you know how they do these little contests where they invite people down in the field, and you do these little silly things and spin your head on the bat and dress up like a sumo person, and those the funny little things they do in between innings to entertain the crowd. Well, um, I, I got chosen along with someone on my youth staff. Uh, we got chosen to go down and do this uh, this event. Now, this was a serious one, you know, um, a, a very serious, legit contest with a real serious award. Um, it ended up being dancing on top of the dugout. 
Um, so leader went first, Jackie. She went first for a little while and had to dance for about 20 seconds or so. And then it was my turn to dance for about 20 seconds or so. Now, I'm not really a dancer. Um, my family gets the uncensored version of Tom Raven at the house. Um, the uncensored version needs a lot of interpretation uh, for things. I think if I were to dance and move and then you were to later edit music together, different music, and then you were to put it to the video of me, you might be able to match up me looking like I'm on beat and dancing properly. Um, but on my own, on the fly, there's no chance. So um, I want you to know, though, before I tell you what I did on that dugout, um, I want you to know I won that contest that night. Um, Okay, I expect a little more eruption of applause, so I'm just going to rewind. We're just going to back up here. No, 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 no. No, we're going we're gonna to do this properly, all right? Before I tell you what I did on the dugout, I just want you to know I won that award. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, that without being prompted. Thank you. Um, there was, uh, when the music started, um, there was like some of this and... Um, I can't, there was something like this, and I do know that, it's a little bit of a blur, um, but I do know that I was on the ground at some point doing this type of stuff. Um, There was something, something that imitated like a lasso, it was, it was very odd, it was a blur, but, um, but that contest was won. Um, Every once in a while I wear the, the uh, award proudly, it was a red McDonald's shirt, since McDonald's was sponsoring the contest, but um, I, I wear that proudly, proudly, um, and uh, I do lessons too if you need. This is what the Bible says. He humbled himself into obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest honor and gave him the name above all names. Listen, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, just look at what's before to figure it out, right? Listen, Jesus humbled himself to God's plan. God said, look, if you will surrender this, then I'm going to lead you this way. Jesus says, all right, I'm on board. I'll do that. I'll surrender that, and I'll go that direction. Surrender, obedience. They have to go together, remember? Jesus said yes to that, and what did God say? Hey, therefore, I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to exalt you and lift you up. I'm going to exalt you to the place of highest honor and give you the name above every name. Listen to this. I want to make sure you don't miss this. This is a very important point of this passage. Jesus was not exalted because of his divinity here. He's exalted because of his humility. Jesus was not exalted because he is God incarnate. He's exalted because of his humility. How do we know that? Because the very first verse, I told you you need to hang on to that, the very first verse that we read, therefore you must have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. What would be the point in having the same attitude or doing the same thing that Christ Jesus did if he was already going to get it, the uh, award? He wasn't even, not even really having to be in the same contest or deal with the same kind of things you're dealing with. He's going to get exalted anyway. Why? Because he's God. No, the passage is saying he's not exalted for that reason. He's exalted because he surrendered and he was obedient to the Father. And God said, I'm exalting you because of that. Now, before you go too far with this, um, you're not getting um, the place of highest honor and you're not getting the name that is above every name. That's taken care of. That's done. All right. But God wants to exalt you. He wants to exalt you. 
I mean, really, you're th- sitting there, men, you're sitting here thinking, I, I, want, I, mean, I want to be a great godly father. I want to be a great godly husband. You know what God said? Surrender, walk in obedience with me, and I will exalt you to the place that you are a godly man in your household, and your family will see it, and you'll lead them that direction. If you say, I, I want to reach people for Christ. I, I, want somebody, I want somebody in my life, some friend, some coworker, some family member to come to know Jesus Christ. He says, look, surrender, walk in obedience to me. Guess what? I will elevate you to the place that I will use you for people to come to know me as their Savior. And the list just goes on and on and on. God wants to exalt you. He wants to lift you up. I mean, it's biblical. It's what he says. I want to just share with you a couple other passages uh, quick. In just a couple minutes and we'll, we'll be done. And I'd like, to, I'd like to send you off in, to this ministry fair. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You know, what, you know what Jesus is saying here? Why continue to live in the, just the drudgery and burden, especially the ones that you heap upon yourself, when you can come to me and you can surrender, you can walk in obedience with the plan I have for your life, and I will exalt you. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to give you rest, is what he says. You don't have to keep carrying these. That's pretty good news. I mean, God is saying here, I want to empower you. I don't want you to live there. I don't want you, that's not where you're going to dwell. I want to exalt you and give you rest. Next verse, John 10, 10. The robber comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come so that you may have life, a great, full life. That's pretty good, right? A great, full life. I mean, how many of you, when you graduated from high school and you had kind of, hey, what are you going to do in life? I am, I am determined to get out there and just to live a poor, maybe poor to average life. I'd like to live it that way. Maybe, maybe just deal with a lot of adversity day in and day out and, and maybe just keep making unwise decisions my whole life and reap the consequences. I am determined. You don't say that. You want to live full life, right? And Jesus here is saying, look, the enemy, that's his job, to take it away from you. I come to give it to you, to give it to you. Finally, James 4.10 just sums up this passage so beautifully. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will do what? He will lift you up in honor. Lift you up. Jesus wasn't elevated because of his divinity. He's elevated because of his humility, his surrender, his obedience. Therefore, guess what? The same promises for you and I. The same promise that's given to Christ is for you and I. The place of exaltation is probably going to look different, but the same promise is there for us. Your surrender, your obedience won't return void. It will return in exaltation. I've told you my story, uh, testimony many times. I just want to share it briefly as I close. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. We went to church ever so often. I'm sure my parents had a real neat experience when they were in high school. But it took me getting to a new town in Moreno Valley that did not have a Boy Scout troop, because that's what we were involved, and my parents dumped me at a youth group. First night of the youth pastor was my first night. About a year later, I just loved the games. I mean, I just loved playing capture the flag every Wednesday night. About a year later, a year and a half later, I was into high school then. I remember at a beach camp hearing a phrase, the, the, the pastor sang on the beach, you know, if, 
if we're not here all night, the waves keep rolling in. Only God is here to hear them. And I remember us kind of mocking the pastor and thinking that was kind of a silly phrase, as sometimes young boys do. But when I got to my tent, my good friend Mark had gone home, and so it was just me in the tent. That phrase hit me. And I got to thinking, if nobody in my life cared about me, if nobody was there, and I had friends and my parents cared deeply about me, but if nobody was there, God would still be there. That was what I needed to hear. And it was that night, as much as I knew how to do in that tent, I said yes to Jesus Christ to come into my life. And I have not stepped off it since because I have seen the fulfillment of life and I've seen the exaltation. Now, that doesn't mean there's not times when God has said surrender and I said, not today, God. But I can look back now on the many years of it and say it was always better when I surrendered. Always. Always. What does your testimony look like? What's your testimony of surrender? Today, I think God's speaking to you about something in your life. It may be today that he is saying, would you just surrender your life fully to me and let me be the Lord of your life? Would you declare yourself Christian today by letting me into your life? To be the Lord of your life, to say, I've lived my own way. I've lived in disobedience all my life. Uh, I didn't even know what obedience to you was, God. This makes more sense. I want to surrender my life this direction. For many of you, you've done that already in your life. You have a testimony of that. But today, you know there's something you need to surrender. That already God has been talking to you about just saying, you know, you've got an addiction in your life. You keep it private. You keep it hidden. Your anger's just got to go. You know, you need to do better with your finances. Put biblical principles in place. It could be that you're saying, I carry heavy, heavy burdens for people. And I'm just not taking the time to stop in my schedule and pray for them. Wherever you're at, whatever the Lord's called you to, this is just, it's just an opportunity to just go before him and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surrender. I'm going to walk in obedience. I'd love God if the exaltation would come this afternoon, um, wouldn't we all? But I'm just going to trust that it'll come in the Lord's timing. Our ministry fair in just a minute, I want to lead you into this. Um, we talked last week about the need to serve in his church. It very well, well may be this morning what God has been challenging you to for a while now is to step up and serve. To, to use your gifts and your talents and your ability in the church here. To go down the hall and serve the children of ours. Uh, and, and you've thought, I just, I don't know if I'm, I'm not very good at that. I can't. It's impossible in human terms, right? But with God, it's It's possible. It's very possible. Or maybe this morning is some other area of ministry. In the Lord's house, there, there really should never be a ministry that is, is looking or begging for volunteers. If we would just say, yeah, Lord, I'll step up. I'll serve where you've called me to this morning. So in just a few minutes after I pray and, and we take up an offering, I would dismiss you to, to kind of enjoy our ministry fair. And I want to just fight you. Walk around, not just looking at sheets, not just looking and saying, that fits into my schedule, that doesn't. Walk around prayerfully saying, where do I need to plug in? God, are you calling me? Are you telling me, God, to uh, seemingly turn my world upside around and go to Guatemala this summer? In our terms, it's impossible, right? God will make it possible. Pray as you walk through there in just a few minutes. And, and let, me, uh, let me pray for you now. Would you bow? 
Father, I, I believe across this room, I, I, mean, I'm, I even feel a, a deep conviction of on my own heart in areas that you spoke to me about, uh, areas of surrender and walking in obedience. That, Father, sometimes we fool ourselves to thinking that it's like you saying, go take care of this and then come see me. You've never set up a plan like that. But you have said, hey, honestly, if you just keep holding on to that, you're, there's just not enough room left in your heart to follow Jesus fully to experience the life he has to offer. So I want to encourage you, whatever was on your heart, I just spoke for 35, 40 minutes, whatever was on your heart during that time, just surrender it now. Why go out of here carrying the burden of it? The Bible actually calls it a yoke on you. Why carry it? Just surrender it right here, right now. Just say it to him in your head. Just use quiet words in your head. Say it. Lord, I surrender this. Just say it. He hears you right now. He'll receive it right now. And then my prayer for you, I'm following up your prayer. And my prayer uh, that I'm going to come strong with here is to say, Lord, you heard the declaration. We know that declarations alone won't get it done. So, Father, now I'm playing the power of your Holy Spirit for them to live it out on obedience. Starting right here, right now. And, Father, we're going to pray the hope and the promise of exaltation. Whatever you would have that. Restore marriages, restore relationships, uh, rid addictions. Lord, whatever way you want to do it, bring exaltation. We'll claim it, Lord, in your son's name. So we believe, as we recited earlier, that, Lord, that, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and you bring more life, more life than we can imagine on our own. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. I'd like to... Uh, invite our ushers to go ahead and, and come. And as they come and take up our, our morning offering, uh, in a minute I'm going to ho- go ahead and dismiss you. Our praise team is going to play and, and sing and keep us going there. But uh, I want to invite you, use this time to walk around and enjoy that. We've even had a pretty, pretty nice setup over there of s'mores. Um, and I think the theme was sh- serve some s'more. Um, so... I didn't come up with that. I didn't come up with that. But it's pretty good. I wish I had. All right. I wish I had. Oh. All right. Why don't you, why don't you stand and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sing to the Lord here.